Okay, I'm recording. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today, Grant and Samantha Mowat? Did I say that correctly? Yes, you did. And you said my name correctly, too. So that's nice. <laughs> well, good. I didn't try the, the second. The Cameron ones always stumps me. But uh, <laughs> yeah. we made contact with Samantha a little while back. Samantha, I had read just about everything and heard just about everything that you've done that I could find. And I was really <laughs> impressed with the with the uh, the work that you did with Dave on Space Out Radio. And one of the things that, I, that was impressive about it was that you've got such a broad background in extraterrestrial contact and, and many other spiritual uh, paradigms, is that he kind of just threw the switch on and then 30 minutes came back and said, okay, let's go to cut. And he throw the switch on and he'd go to another 30 minutes. <laughs> and I sent him an email. I don't know if you didn't respond. I said, that's got to be the easiest interview you've ever done. <laughs> but, uh, but you really do have a, a, just a rather unusual, unique, and extremely diverse background. But I believe it all kind of rotates around the hub of your contact experiences. And uh, it, jump in here anywhere if you find that I'm wrong. But let me just look, read a, a short list of the, of the beings that she's been in contact with. And I think still in contact with some, or if not all of these. Mm -hmm. Andromedans, Arcturians, black smoke entities, Coneheads, uh, crystal beings, golden energy beings, grays, hybrids, invisible beings, light beings, lyrans, manis manded manta family, mushroom flower beings, the Pleiadians, the reptilians of four colors, mm -hmm. whites, and wispy, wispy smoke beings. Did I miss anybody in there? I don't want to <laughs> leave out any of our space brothers. Um, yeah, there's even more on top of that. There's various kinds of elementals and fairies that I've encountered, numerous types of dead people, ascended masters, angelic beings. One thing that I've found is that a lot of people, especially um, within the psychic community, a lot of people are starting to encounter more types of beings within the last 10 to 20 years than we had in the years prior to that because of the shifting of humanity's consciousness and the vibrational change. And so I find every year we're encountering new types of different beings that are coming forward. Some, even within the variety of grays, I've met several different varieties of grays with different agendas. And so to simply say that I've met, um, for instance, one such as the grays or various types of humanoids, it is a bit more complicated than what people are initially anticipating, because within the groups, there's so much more diversity than what we're really expecting. It's quite fascinating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. the diversity thing is, is really what, what struck me. And, and Grant and yeah. I have had this conversation before about this whole idea of UFOs and ETs and, and contact and abductions is an extremely complex subject. Yeah. And it just doesn't involve, you know, big almond-shaped uh, eyed grays and a few, you know, blue-haired Pleiadians or whatever color they happen <laughs> to be these days. It's, it's a very wide spectrum. And when you start talking about these types of things, you have to be very, at least I want to be very careful. And rather than saying, well, the Andromedans are this way or the light beings are that way, um, is to recognize that there is an extremely diverse number of beings spread out that are in contact with us, mm -hmm. that are in observation of, of with us. If you're familiar with Bashar, uh, yes. uh, who has come through Daralanka uh, as a channel, he claims that we're being observed by 147 different species of beings right now. Mm -hmm. 
Now, we're not interacting with all of those, but there's a chance that we may have or will in some day, probably in the, in the close to the future. You think we're getting close to open contact? For the average person, I do believe we're getting closer, but do I think we're going to see typical ETs walking down the street without their cloaks on and without protection? No, I don't think we'll see that very soon because most people, in my opinion, are not able to handle having a reptilian shop to their door asking them for directions down the street. I don't think most people very well would handle walking outside and seeing greys in their trees observing the birds. Most people can't handle that this time, and that's why a lot of these beings, as a form of courtesy for us, as well as a form of protection for themselves tend to be very cautious who they are and are not having contact with at this time and if they are having contact under what capacity most humans although they may find a fascination with extraterrestrials and multi-dimensionals would not react very well if they were to have a being um, shop at their house in the middle of the night they may feel uncomfortable at that even though the beings may be more nocturnally focused themselves and that's why they choose to come at night rather than in the middle of the day mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. is there a um is there a set of beings that you would expect would be the first contact in open contact, the ones that we would expect to meet, even if it's in small enclaves of, of humans uh, in remote places? Do you have a feel who might be the extraterrestrials or the interdimensional uh, beings that would be in that uh, first contact group or groups? Um, yes, I do have speculations who I believe will come forward first. I do believe it's most likely to be either the greys, the Palladians, or reptilians portraying themselves as humans, because most people could not handle seeing reptilians in their true form, walking out, shaking hands with our elected officials and our representatives. Although I've met the reptilians many times, quite a few times they've chosen to have the portrayal of a human suit being over top of them, either physically or through projected screen memories. And that has made it more comfortable in some of my younger situations to better deal with them. That is what I've found. And I do believe it'd be very similar for other people where um, when I've looked at the way the different beings are, especially with the diversity of greys, the greys have been in contact with a lot of our governments for a very long time, as have the reptilians. We do have some plating groups that are working with our governments trying to initiate more of a positive level of disclosure. However, they're not wanting to give them technology because of they see how in one sense, the amount of human rights violations we have going on, the unequal distribution of wealth, um, resources, health, so on and so forth. And they're trying to do disclosure in a way that's beneficial for us without actually putting us into a worse state. Does disclosure come when we as a collective have the, mind, the right mindset? Does it come, do, do they come to assist in getting us to that right mindset? In other words, we are getting to a point where we, uh, contact makes sense from a cosmic standpoint, and they step in and meet us halfway. Uh, is there a point in our evolution that we just absolutely need to get to in order for this to be something that's valuable for us, that is open contact, as well as valuable for them? How do you summarize all of that philosophy there? Based upon what I've come to understand when I've talked to the various groups that I work with about how contact will be moving forward for the overall collective of humanity in the future, they've mentioned that they would love to have contact with the majority of us now if they could. However, 
because of the amount of programming we have on a societal level with all the fear, they're starting to have more of what's known as astral contact and psychic contact happening for the average person. So what you'll find when you talk to many of your friends, whether they are just starting the awakening process, whether they are psychic or not, they will start to have dreams where they see people that don't quite seem like people. They're starting to meet, whether it's greys, Andromedans, Arcturians, they're starting to meet all these different types of beings coming through to them through other uses of um, tarot cards, channeling, as in the case of Bashar, through astral projection, through these various mediums and modalities to interact with humans to get them more accustomed to feeling the vibrations. As I'm sure you've noticed within your lifetime, the majority of humans have become more clairsentient and empathic, where we can kind of sense the vibrations coming off one another, feeling within our bones whether someone is portraying the truth to us or not. And because of that psychic ability being the strongest one for most of humanity at this time, the majority of these beings are starting to come to us on more of a clairsentient and energetic level of understanding to get us accustomed to their vibration before they start to show us what they look like on a physical capacity. And so when I look at that aspect in mind, they are wanting to actually be able to have it so we can see mantis beings and to have them in their technology, working on the average human, having exchanges going on because they are very fascinated by our genetics. They are very fascinated by um, us. They do regard us as a bit of an experiment down here. Although we do have other humans such as the Phoenicians, the Pleiadians, the Mentakans that are more physically human in appearance they are a different kind of human than us. We're very similar genetically, but we have a lot more of different kinds of ET DNA activated within all of us. And that's where a lot of these different species have a very strong interest in us. And they don't want to sabotage it by coming forward too quickly and then make it so we go into fear. And now we're afraid of all these beings. So it's going to take them 500 years just to get back to the point we're at now. So they're being very cautious in the way that they're going about things. And so they would like to have disclosure, but in a more controlled and... Um, conscious environment is i think the best way to put it can i jump well, in with a question about uh yes. these you it talk about you talk a lot about, cameron show so i guess no, no, okay. no no i i just have one question then i'll let it back to you uh you talk a lot about this dimensional shift the idea that um things have shifted there are more beings being seen and and higher vibration can you go a little bit more into that because we we do have a lot of experiences running around saying the end is nigh, uh, we're about to be flushed away, uh, you know, get ready, this kind of stuff. So is, is the vibration going up or is the vibration going down? And can you explain what you mean by this sort of shift? Because um, you use it a lot, a lot of people in the field use it, and maybe the people on the street really don't understand what we're talking about. Of course, not a problem. So as you know, everything is energy. We are all emitting a certain vibrational pattern. And within the different vibrations, of course, um, every dimension is stacked on top of each other like a book. Think of the pages of a book stacked on top of the ones at the bottom being denser, lower vibrational rates. And the higher up you go, the higher in vibra vibrational like oscillation something is occurring. And so a lot of the beings that we're interacting with as far as humanity is concerned, um, let's say in the Middle Ages, we were all pretty stagnant. The majority of the world, at least the Western world, was very fear-based. Our vibrations were very um, close to the body, fear-based, very much so living out of the root chakra, purely based upon survival, getting through to the next day. Our, we were very um, religious, but not spiritual. And because of that, we were very disconnected from God, source, universe, whatever you want to call it, it's the exact same thing. 
However, humanity has been going through several levels of more of an awakening process, which is where we start to disconnect from the fear vibration and we start to raise in consciousness. Now, how this ends up happening is we start to live um, more so with consciousness towards other people. We have more concern for our animals, our plants, our environment. We start recognizing levels of interconnection between us and all things. And as that occurs, our ability to um, perceive the world around us on a vibratory scale increases. So as I'm sure you and all of the people in your audience are well aware is you can sometimes walk into a room and get a gauge about what's happening in that space. You'll walk into someone like, oh, the energy is so gross in here. I feel like um, people are just fighting or I feel like somebody died here. I don't feel safe in this place. And that is the beginning of your ability to recognize the vibration of things that are going on around you. And so as that starts to shift and increase and your vibration begins to expand, your sensitivity to what's going on around you increases as well. And so what we're looking at with this is um, the end is not near. Things are simply changing and shifting. Although we do have a lot of beings that will come and give you an encounter and give you um, fear based because they're wanting to do a harvest or they're wanting to um, reset the planet, which someone would like to, but they're not going to be allowed to because I've talked to other beings and they've indicated that they're not allowed for a harvest to take place. And um, getting back to the understanding about this is as we're looking at humanity and how things are really starting to shift and change is over the last hundred years in particular, we've had a tremendous amount of what's known as star seeds come in. Before that, we had a lot of souls that have been going through the incarnational patterns of being down here on earth, being trapped on this planet for thousands of years. But then there was a form of volunteering that went on. So a lot of people that are very interested in these subjects, be it um, remote viewing, telekinesis, psychic abilities, saving the planet, um, people very connected towards animals, environmentalism, you name it. There are actually people who come from other stars, other dimensions more so that are actually not human, that feel like they don't belong here, that have a mission. They've agreed to do things and they're helping to change the energetic vibration of the overall collective. And I know for a lot of people are wondering, well, okay, Samantha, where's the proof of this? Where is the, this is great, I love it, but tell me the proof, how's this real? And what I want you to recognize is look at the average IQ of people over the last hundred years. Look at how the children, not the adults, the children, actually have better memory retention now. They tend to be um, born more psychically aware. Children are being born remembering their past lives. Children are being born remembering how to use crystals for healing, how to talk to animals better, how to better connect into plants. This is becoming a very common thing, especially for people who um, look at the way they grew up and then they're comparing it towards their children or their grandchildren. There's a giant shift in the way the children's minds are working and the level of sensitivity being like, depleted within them, which is quite beautiful. And this consciousness aspect is it's really shifting and changing. Um, when you're looking at how everything has been going over the last 50 years, even we're seeing a rapid growth in the consciousness in the sense that these beings have been tinkering with our genetics for thousands of years, but we're starting to actually better remember a lot of the encounters. ET contact has been going on for thousands of years. Some bloodlines have been followed since um, Sumerian times or Egyptian times, it's very common. But because the amount of DNA that is being activated, we're entering a different part of our solar system from what they've explained to me. And with us entering into a different part of the solar system, it's a different vibration that we're going into on a microcosm level. It's actually impacting the planet. So it's changing the way not only that we're vibrating and oscillating, but the way the plants are vibrating, the way the animals are vibrating and the earth itself. So it's a totally different vibration that we've been in for the last couple thousand years. And that's part of what's contributing to this change. Do you understand? Yes. Yeah, I, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we can follow. We can do with that. <laughs> okay.
The uh, you mentioned CE five experiences, yeah. and you were talking about the astral element uh, being mm -hmm. involved. And I'm no CE five expert. I don't know if the protocol accepts astral experiences or only direct physical experiences. My CE five experience was an astral experience. It was mm -hmm. a, a dream state, um, mm -hmm. very real. Um, back in the '60s, and um, so I always list my CE5 with an asterisk, you know, sort of like when Roger Maris broke Babe Ruth's home run record, they gave him a little asterisk to designate that he didn't do it the same uh, amount of time that Babe Ruth did, may have set him aside, said he broke the record, but, but this is, so I, I, I put mine with, a, with an asterisk. You're the first person I think I've run across that has said, well, there is more of an astral element than ever. We're getting mm -hmm. more contact and communication astrally than ever. And uh, it, lets, it leads me to believe that, uh, that maybe if the CE5 protocol doesn't expand to include astral elements, that, it, that uh, maybe they should take a good look at that. I believe they should. I don't know much about the CE protocols. I've heard them mentioned quite a few times by people. But with my contact, I just let it unfold naturally, whether it's occurring on a psychic level, a physical level, an astral level, I just allow it to unfold as it will. And I do believe if they want to actually help the majority of humanity to have proper contact, where they can actually start to have a being come into the room and have a cup of tea with them and talk to them about either their future or about their health or to assist them with their own um, refixing of things in their body, then they do need to start having more astral contact. The majority of these beings will not come see you in person at first, especially not for the first few years of getting to know you because they may not know you on a soul level. They might actually um, be a little intimidated by you. They may be concerned going, oh my goodness, did this person um, do karate or do hockey? Are they prone to being more aggressive? If I can into their space when they're more conscious, is this person going to try to cause me physical harm? And so that's why you find even with a lot of contactees who go through contact from the time they're born until the time they die, the majority of it, they will be put into a catatonic or altered state prior to their physical abductions, as well as within their astral abductions. And so when you start to do what I have done, where you start to change the way in which you react to a lot of the beings, where for me, a lot of times, like even earlier this week, I had an encounter where I woke up in the middle of the night, my dog's whining like crazy, wanting to go outside. I take them outside, the dogs look on the deck, they look across the yard, and then all of a sudden, both dogs are looking at their and like terrified I'm like okay there's a craft outside fine whatever let's go to bed close the door lock the door go upstairs and then I'm laying in bed going okay I know I'm going to be abducted not a big deal sending it okay as long as you're nice you're welcome to come on in here I don't mind but even when you have yourself at that state because a lot of my abductions I will walk out of the house to go see the beings unless you're in the state where you're not going to approach them aggressively they won't want to come see you physically and that's why I think a lot of people um, are trying to they would like to have that contact, but they don't understand how they need more self-control on a subconscious level, as well as a conscious level before these beings will see them in the capacity they're hoping to see. And that's why they're trying the astral contact with most people first. If you see a little gray in your astral and it's following you around and it's following you in a city, are you reacting to fear? Are you going, oh my goodness, what does this gray want? It's going to hurt me. It's going to abduct me. Or are you going, hi, how are you? What can I do for you? They do test you quite a bit to see where your consciousness is at and what kind of reactions you have. Because in the astral, you're not lying. You don't think to do manipulation tactics. You don't think to do stuff like that. You're living authentically in that moment. And that's part of the reason for astral as well. Mm. What would be yeah. the percentage between physical and astral uh, beings or encounters? 
varies person to person. Um, with mine, I find about a quarter of my encounters in the last couple of years appear to be physical. I would say another quarter appear to be psychic and the other half are closer to more astral contact. The majority of my physical encounters of which being more focused around hybridization and the restoration of my body. Has yeah. that changed over the years? Oh yeah. The percentage? Yeah, of course. Um, I had a lot more physical encounters when I was really small because my, I grew up in the 90s and my parents both smoked in the house. And I had some lung issues. So they were coming to see me every couple months just to make it so I wasn't developing things like bronchitis repeatedly and things of that nature. And of course, with having so much smoke in the house, it did start to move my body towards being precancerous. So they had to come fix that a couple times to make sure my body didn't develop cancer. So it was more physical, I would say, um, between probably zero and six. And again, around the ages of 15 through 21. And then it slowed down for a couple of years and it went, it's gone back up onto a lot more physical encounters recently in the last five years, just because of me with the hybridization, how it's gone up again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The, um, during the COVID crisis, I have had the opportunity to spend a lot of time just reading specific subjects. I, I, mm -hmm. I must have read two or three dozen alien abduction books cool. uh, from authors. Yeah, from authors that are relating their contact and abduction experiences. Yeah. Um, each of them deal with it a little differently, but almost mm -hmm. all of them seem to have gone through a period of a, a very serious psychological um, reparation almost. It, it's mm -hmm. almost as if uh, it's such a at the beginning, before you're used to it, I suppose, it is such a magnanimous thing that it affects you psychologically to an extent that I think many of these abductees didn't even realize what was happening to them until they could step back away from it and go, gosh almighty, I'm this way or that way, or I'm confused or whatever state of mind I have been, really specifically to the time that I know that I'm I beginning to be abducted. Did you go through the same thing? I know you started very early, and I, I imagine that's somewhat of an advantage to get mm -hmm. used to contact early, get used to the abduction scenario early. But uh, did you go through that same period of time where all of a sudden you realized, I am actually being abducted, this is actually happening to me, and oh my God, where am I, what do I do with this now? <laughs> Yeah, actually I did. Even though I've known I've had contact my entire life, I was blessed enough to grow up in a family that has contact and recognize their contact. And that actually did make it a lot easier, but it was actually when I had children and I would find my children waking up out of their beds at night and find them walking down the hallways or walking onto a different floor to go walk out of a wall or out of a room. That is when it really hit me of, oh my goodness, this is actually happening to my kids. That kind of caused more of a paradigm shift for me that changed my perspective on contact a little bit where I actually went into a bit of a fear state for a while because it's one thing when you're being abducted but as a parent it's something completely different when you wake up in the middle of the night and you see that one of your children is not in their bed or you wake up in the middle of the night and your child who has really bad allergies and you see a mantis being above your bed and you're like okay what would you like or you see reptilians coming in and taking blood samples of one of your children seeing what's going on with them genetically and what needs to be modified things like that caused me to have a bit of a um, anxiety attack on a few occasions because you there's a sense of control that we want to have as parents of keeping our children safe that caused me to have to reevaluate a lot of my perception of my contact and took it to a whole nother level of understanding so that was probably the toughest part for me did they intrude 
to an extent, yeah. Um, they can be very intrusive when it comes to particular things like relationships. And if they want someone to be breeding with someone, if they find them to be a good genetic match, then they can be very intrusive. For instance, after um, my soon-to-be ex-husband and I decided we were going to stop at two children, it was less than um, a few months later that I actually started to have a lot of orchestrated relationships start to take place over the next several years. And they can be very persuasive and they'll start to have abductions with certain people repeatedly to try to orchestrate a relationship, the bonding and pairing, as I call it, which is where you start to meet someone around the age typically of five, you'll have abductions with them multiple times a year from the time you're about um, kindergarten onwards, and you'll get to know these people on an energetic level and a psychic level and other contactees, and these are people that you're better genetic matches with for breeding with. Quite often you will have past lives with these people or they'll be in your soul family, things of that nature. Soul family just means that when your souls are created by God, source, universe, whatever you want to call it, you just have very similar core vibrations. If you were to actually look at like the essence of the, like the oscillation of the particles of the soul. And so you have some very similar lifestyles, habits, things of that being. And um, I found that when I started to really address my own contact history and I started to look at the men that I have had orchestrated relationships with, every single time it was orchestrated by very particular groups of ETs, most commonly reptilians, greys, um, a little bit with some of the Pleiadians who wanted me to breed with other Pleiadians just because we have better genetic matches, things of that nature. Um, for the most part, I find the angelic beings, the light beings, the crystal beings, and the flower beings have no interest in that whatsoever. Neither do the elementals. They don't really care as much about the breeding components. It's more so the beings that are close in vibration to us. So the beings that we think of as extraterrestrial, which are actually multidimensional, um, are the ones that I find are more involved with the hybridization programs that are kind of invasive when it comes to things like the breeding programs where do the hybrids go like if they're um, doing, yeah because that's always the question is you never see them you, you may see them with the bonding have you gone through the bonding thing where you bond with the child once and then yeah. they take it away so where where are these hybrids all being are they on other planets or what are, what's the purpose of this from what I've noticed, the majority of hybrids seem to be on craft. Some of my hybrids I've met several times. In particular, one of my children that I'm having next, I have had him multiple times going through um, the orchestration with his father. And it's, I've met this man, really nice man. Um, and he and I have had this child multiple times go through various ET bodies, trying to get the genetic match right between ET DNA and human DNA. So when he's born in the next two or so years, that he has the right percentage of ET and human DNA. And with that in mind, these ETs are raising a lot of the hybrids on craft because they don't necessarily fit just into human culture. They would not fit necessarily just into ET culture. It's like they're creating a sub race. That's kind of like a um, bridge between our race and theirs, which is quite beautiful. A lot of them are very nice. You'll meet them from the time they're babies. I remember giving birth to at least a couple dozen of my babies physically. And what's interesting is you'll have that happen. And then even if you weren't expected to start your menstruation, you will have really intense bleeding after these physical abductions. You will have it. So I'm sorry to be too blunt, but you'll have like, it's like having a miscarriage where you're having blood clots and things of that nature. And I find that when I'm having things like that happen, I will have all the pregnancy symptoms, even if whether I've had sex on earth or not, you'll be having sex on craft physically or astrally and it will get you pregnant so they can be very invasive and i'm sorry if that's tmi or rude but i do think more knowledge is beneficial for people mm -hmm. i agree mm -hmm. 
<clears throat> no, I don't think that's rude at all. I think uh, yeah. that's a, a very good description of extraterrestrial invasiveness. So uh, <laughs> I just, yeah, I really, <clears throat> I really wonder how you put up with this. I, I, I just, again, I know you started young and I'm sure there is some advantage to that. But if I'm trying to put myself in your shoes, I don't have any idea how I could survive through this. How did your family, forgetting husbands uh, for a second, but how did your family take all of this um, contact and abduction information as you came forward with it to them? Were they well, by it? Were they embracing of it? Some in, some out? How'd that work out for you? Well, I'm in a bit of a unique situation as far as the contact situation is concerned. I have contact on both my mother's side and my father's side with numerous members of the family on either side um, being aware of their contact histories. And so I can go see family members and talk to them, whether it's some of my aunts, my uncles, and be like, hey, I um, have been dealing with the Grays a lot lately and it's this group and they're really driving me crazy or they're being wonderful and they can share with me their own contact experiences. Even as a teenager, um, Okay, I should go back a little bit further than that. But when I was a teenager, I had this really intense hybridization start at that time. because, of course, menstruation was sorted out and um, I started to get into the breeding program. And I would come back after a physical abduction with mom. I went through the sliding glass door and I walked to this being over the dam, over to a craft was laid out over there. And she's like, that's great. Okay, go muck out those chicken stalls. I don't care. <laughs> that's fine. You had an abduction, but you still, you can talk to me about it. I'm happy to talk to you, but you still have chores you have to do on the farm, which did make it a lot easier. And when I was little, um, I recognized I was having contact, his, like a lot of contact going on, things like that. So I was that weird little girl who would bring these um, lifetime books of like UFOs and the paranormal. And I'm so lucky I didn't get beaten up in the 90s. I'm surprised I didn't. But my parents were nice enough to buy those books and to let me watch shows um, that contained ETs and talk to me about some of the stuff that they had experienced. So instead of make it just a fear-based normalized it and it made it so it wasn't as fear-based which was quite wonderful I think that really helped me with a lot of this yeah uh, are you familiar with um <clears throat> excuse me again physical mediumship uh have you yes, ever been to <laughs> go have ahead. you ever been to a seance um no I've always wanted to go to a seance unfortunately I've never well, been to a... we'll put you on our celebrity seance list Sweet. and uh, get you an invite to come in we're going <laughs> to uh before covid started we had excuse me we had uh, uh kai moogie who uh is a, a personal friend and brand i've interviewed him before coming into uh the fort area to mm -hmm. uh to do say it's covid hit he's he's overseas he can't get out uh, you know yeah. for, with any kind of traffic so we just kind of put it off probably to the spring of this coming year of nice. 2022 and Cool. But you'll go on a very short list of people that will come because when you mentioned when you walked into a room yeah. and you would feel the energy in the room, mm -hmm. uh, this is one of the things that you that really stuck out to me in, in seance is that I could walk into a room, not that I'm empathetic or intuitive or any of that, but you just, like you say, you walk into a room, you just go, oh, uh, is this, this is heavy here. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. these people don't seem excited to be here. They, they don't seem like they, they're focused to be here. You walk into the next seance room. It's just an overwhelming amount of joy and, and lightness. And, and um, yeah. so when you said that, it reminded me of that, that very same feeling. And it, like you said, it doesn't require somebody being intuitive or yeah. empathetic, or it just requires them to be observant. Of I course. Think. Just aware. Well, 
Yeah, I agree with you, but all humans are psychic. We really are. I believe that when we're all little, we're all having the capability to either see things like ghosts or as beings, whether it's shadow entities, whether we're um, aware of it or not, some people might have this odd moment where they might hear an animal speak to them or they might get an intuitive download or somebody saying something in their head that they hear very clearly. All children have things like that happening. We all do. We just get programmed to block it out and we can reopen those channels. It's just a matter of being attentive and actually taking the time to be quiet and still within our mind so we can be attentive to what's around us. That's the only difference between, I think, psychics and non-psychic people is the fact that we've learned how to open ourselves back up again. This is a natural human capability. It's funny you say that because if you're standing on the outside looking in uh, and you hear something like, well, we have these psychic abilities and we block them out, it's, it's difficult to realize that from birth and mm -hmm. pre-birth for that matter, uh, yeah. we've been sociologically conditioned to be non-psychic. Mm -hmm. uh, it was especially old people like Grant there when he was born and came through. <laughs> uh, you know, if you said that somebody he were psychic, you know, it was it was off to the funny farm in, in the uh, <laughs> white chain coat with yeah. him. So, I mean, yeah. we grew up in a period of time where he wouldn't discussed it wasn't even a subject much less being discussed now it's openly discussed and thank god that that's happening and whatnot but but you forget i look back and say gosh almighty you know what few psychic abilities i have been able to express or develop or work on and whatnot i go back and look at that and just say for all of these years i got to overcome the first factor which is uh, i can do this and make mm -hmm. more practice and intent and assertion and um uh, it may require relevance to my experience as well. But nonetheless, mm -hmm. these are things that we can get back to doing if we desire and find it's necessary to do so. But mm -hmm. we have been, we've been absolutely ingrained about the fact that we have five senses and that's all we got. And, you know, you live, you die, goodbye, and that's it. And uh, mm -hmm. getting to the having these conversations, which are so much fun now. Uh, yeah. I have to step back though and just say, gosh, I, I can just remember those four or five decades where I went through where um, I just didn't consider it psychism or psi itself to be anything that, except exceptional people, some Tibetan Lama or, <laughs> or the like. And it's really not the case. It's a matter of, of getting over the fact that, you can, that you've been taught that you can't do it to and getting to the fact that you can do it. I agree. Like, I full heartedly agree with you. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because I'm actually raising my children to be very aware of their psychic abilities, very aware of their contact. And I'll go to PAC, or not PAC meetings, pardon me, I'll go to parent teacher conferences and we have them over Zoom now, of course, because of COVID. And you get to talk about things like mediumship or your kids being like, hey, I saw a gray passing through the wall. And you're having to explain to a teacher, like, hey, so it actually means they saw this. And that's okay. They're not crazy. And I luckily have such wonderful teachers for my children. So they're like, hey, so your daughter was seeing her dead grandfather again in the classroom and it's okay she I just want to know she had a big emotional day because of it and so having really psychic kids and having this new wave of psychic abilities coming forward does present its own challenges but I think by being very normal people ourselves it's helping to normalize it for other people as well I can't imagine going to my Catholic <laughs> you know sixth grade school and and uh getting up in front of the class and said did anybody see that gray out in the hallway I mean th this wasn't going to fly <laughs> <laughs> uh, probably not they'd ask where the demon is and how to, yes, and ask to or bring the monsignor in and he'd throw holy water all over me or something but, <laughs> and i did have some small experience like that and i did relate it to my uh teacher priest teacher at the time 
And then all I can remember him doing is looking at me and saying, sit down. <laughs> you know, oh, no. <laughs> there was just there was no discussion. He had no idea what I was talking about, but I'd seen a light beam that was yeah. in the locker room and it was very obvious. Could have been an apparition, a ghost. I don't know. I was I was young at the time, but I asked him, yeah. I said, you know, I saw this thing, and then he just listen to me out. So that wasn't <laughs> with a fly in, in Catholic school, that's that's for certain. No, the uh you know, you mentioned the energy piece, and, and we always go through this. Everything is energy, everything is vibration, mm -hmm. and, and I think that everybody is pretty much, that has any awokeness at all understands that. One mm -hmm. of the things I'd, I'd like to ask you is a little bit more on the scientific side. Maybe mm -hmm. you have a comment on this. You know, we talk about vibrations, and if you look like, uh, if you think of a, like a, a tuner on an FM radio, 102.9 or 106.4 or whatever it is, and I think there are some radios that actually have another decimal point, 102.65. I've heard this is the case. But, you know, when you talk about vibration, how little difference in vibration is it being a degree of, of uh, cycles per second, for instance? How different does your vibration have to, for it to be to be different? In other words, if I have two beings vibrating at 102. 694 and 102.693, mm -hmm. um, are they close enough together to be able to synchronize what, uh, you know, what they, their energies together, or do they have both actually happen to be, happen to be 103, uh, 102.693s? Do you understand what I'm saying? How, I do. How big a difference is allowed? How much, how much moving together and, and, and fashioning together is allowed? Um, mm -hmm. in that whole uh, equation of vibration? Well, this is all just based upon my understanding and my point of awareness based upon my experiences and what I've been taught by the beings I work with. But if your vibrations are close enough, you should be able to perceive each other. And that's why I think some people on occasion will go somewhere and they'll see a ghost for a moment, whether it's someone walking through a wall or they'll see a being that's there for a moment, like walk down the hallway and see an extraterrestrial standing in a room or see somebody's eyes shift from being um, pupils to slits, things of that nature. I do believe it's when your vibration is close enough to be able to perceive these things. Now, what I've come to notice is that our vibrational bandwidth, so the amount of energy that we are able to perceive, I believe is actually increasing as humanity is starting to become more psychic. As we talked about earlier, we talked about the awakening process, which is something that has been prophesized for thousands of years as we start to return back to being more closer to source consciousness type beings. And as we're becoming more psychic, things that were once hidden from us, um, for instance, the cloaking, like um, beings presenting themselves as being human when they're actually something else. That's why I think we have a lot more people recognizing, oh, um, I saw a craft over there. And you'll have like six people in a group and two of them be like, I can see that UFO clear as day. And then the other four people are like, what are you talking about? I don't see anything. But the other two people, and they'll take a picture and they'll be like, oh, there is a UFO there. I think that's why we have things like that happening where as we're starting to increase in vibration and psychic abilities, our band it goes from being very narrow to getting wider where you can see things in dimensions that are lower than us that are very close in oscillation as well as higher than us and one thing i have noticed just with um talking to other psychic people is that our ability to tune into a broader range of vibrations is all that psychic abilities really are is people that are more um 
visually focused, for instance, clairvoyants like myself, we tend to be able to see auras and the beings standing behind people more easily because it's where our vibration goes. It goes towards more of a um, of the higher dimensional spectrum typically. That's why mediums can typically see dead people as they see more of the lower dimensional spectrum. It's not that one's better or worse. It's just looking in a different direction, a different vibrational awareness and capability. And I think that when you mentioned this comment or this question of how close do these vibrations have to be in order to really be able to perceive one another, to interact with each other, they do have to be close, but they don't have to be identical. And that's why you'll find when you start looking at a lot of the contactees, they're like, oh, I saw an Andromedan or a gray and it was partially see-through. And it was like a hundred feet away and I could kind of see it for a moment in the field over there. And it's because it's in a vibration close to our own, but not entirely identical. That's why we're seeing them partially translucent. And it took me a while to figure that out um, especially when you look at the aspect of cloaking so cloaking of course is when a being shifts the vibration around it to create a form of almost like invisibility around it so it's not as well perceived as it's going around our area as I'm sure you've probably noticed with some of the books that you've read about other contactees and their contact history, that they'll notice that there are points where they can feel the beings around them, but they can't see them around them. But they are like, I know they're right here, but I can't see them. It's because those beings have shifted the vibration around them to being in harmony to the space around them. So for instance, like let's say you're emitting a 7.3, but all the stuff around you is emitting a 4.3. The being will put a 4.3 vibration around it so that it's mimicking the environment around it. Even though you can feel the vibration of the being, you can't see it. So it's a little more complicated than mm. what we really understand. I'm sure a physicist could much better explain that. I'm simply going by what I've been privileged to learn from some of the beings by talking to them. Can I jump in with a question about your, your role in the thing? I think you had talked at one time, depending upon what your attitude is or what your feeling is, you'll attract certain types of beings mm -hmm. depending upon your and because i'm i'm thinking because walter and i both work on the um the physical mediumship and these guys are you know if you're sitting in a seance for 40 years every week uh these guys are pretty perceptive but you'll see a lot of these guys have a very distinct view of the world that there is not even reincarnation there's just this spirit world or if you, uh, i've done two books on this called mission rama this group in mm -hmm. a latino group twenty five thousand of them who can open these portals and they're cool. doing the chanting and all this kind of stuff. And yet they only see one type of being. They never see anything other than these 1950 type beings. They look like swimmers with, you know, the uh, long hair and gorgeous. So <laughs> can you talk about the, the, uh, the uh, impact that people have on what they're seeing? Cause we sort of see it like separation, but I think you would agree that there's probably still some component that we're part of what we're perceiving. Very much so. You might have soul contracts in place where you're here to learn only about a specific type of being. And that's why some people you'll talk to them like contactees, they might only meet the greys or they might only meet the reptilians or they might only meet um, angelic beings, things of that nature. But one thing I've found is that with my job, like my job in this lifetime is to hold many different vibrations and to help normalize the various types of extraterrestrials and multidimensionals. And that's why I get the opportunity, good and bad, to meet a very wide range of beings. If you were to have a very specific, like let's say they grant you decided you really want to work with the Pleiadians and start having them train you how to do the various psychic stuff that they have taught me to do when I was a teenager in going into my early 20s, then you can put out that request. It might take you two to five years of putting that request out every day for them to realize, okay, Grant's very serious about this. Maybe we should start having encounters with him to really do this, even though it's not part of his original soul contract. You can make that intention and have that focus and they would be willing to consider you. Although they might not necessarily do it, they would consider you. They'd come check in on you after and see if it was a good fit for you. So you can definitely do that. 
I'm going to jump in one more question, Walter, before I forget, because I'm getting old. I may forget my question. Uh, you talked about soul contract. Talk about why you, uh, where did you come from and what do you perceive happens when you die? Um, I have recollection of well over about 30 different past lives at this point, many of which on earth, many of which off of the earth, which has been very beneficial for me. So my perception of how life goes after we die, I do based upon my own understanding, we do go back to being energy and we make the decision of where we want to go from there. You may choose to spend a hundred years healing. If you go through something traumatic, you may choose to go back in time and do something. You may choose to go forward in time. Time and space doesn't really exist the way humans perceive it to. Now, when we look at soul contracts, they're very complex. You can have a lot of different contracts. My soul made a few contracts in place that it really wanted to work on. One, I'm here to normalize psychic abilities. Two, I'm here to make it so um, the various extraterrestrial multidimensional beings are better understood so that they're not as biased. For instance, I'm here to help also show a lot of the good things to do with reptilians as well, good and bad. Same with Pleiadians, good and bad. Same with light beings, angelic beings, helping to make that to be better understood by humanity so that the coming couple of centuries, they can better understand the beings that are coming forward. Forward. I have many soul contracts in regards to the children that I'm having. I'm supposed to have four of them. We have soul contracts with anyone that you have a marriage with, children with, you have soul contracts with those people. Karma ties into soul contracts to an extent. Um, I also have soul contracts from previous incarnations. That's why I go through things like my lab situations because I have worked with them in previous incarnations and I'm trying to balance that debt to get rid of it. You may wonder, okay, well, what do you mean by balancing that debt? If you make an agreement in, in an incarnation, you can evacuate pardon me, it can actually bite you in the butt, so to speak, in this one, because it can be a negative thing that could have benefited you then, but may come to hurt you now. As is the case that we have with many celebrities who tend to sell their soul to go through um, fame, fortune, whatever, and then have to do many bad things afterwards. That's not the case in my situation, but that is very much so a parallel situation. So when we're looking at soul contracts, you can make soul contracts before you're born, while you're alive, as well as after you are alive as well. For instance, um, when I look at my aspect, several years ago, I was watching a video on YouTube and this person was ripping into the grace. And when I was younger, I had really good encounters with the grace. They were actually quite kind to me for the most part. They would heal my body. They would share knowledge with me. They were very playful, very kind. And I felt so bad by what I had seen in this YouTube video that I told all the beings that I work with, um, if any of you are being misrepresented and you'd like to have a more clear representation, come see me. I'm happy to help make it so people better understand who you guys really are and truly know about your society oh my god I am so cute kind of stupid that way but very cute because that opened the floodgates and I had a whole wash of beings trying to come forward a lot of reptilians in particular who when I first was starting to see some of these guys they can be really intimidating especially because they're very stoic and like to the point and not very emotional I'm like oh goodness I'm afraid of snakes and so I was having a lot of screen memories of snakes coming forward and then they started to show up as like human snakes and they started to show up as reptilians and that actually kind of made me intimidated because I was used to seeing raptors when I was younger but the whole nother when you start meeting reptilians and so I had a bit they're like well you said you would help to explain to humans what we were actually like and I'm like oh that's where I come to see me okay I understand now and so I had to recognize what I had done and the consequences wow Thank you. Yeah, no worries. It seems to be one of the uh, benefits of our times that contracts, soul contracts are malleable now. I think mm -hmm. sometime in the past, at least from the evidences I've seen, they didn't seem to be as malleable. You kind of bought into it and that's where you were and you just, you know, <laughs> you rode that train until there was, you know, till the end of the track and you got off and maybe do a better job of Put yourself in a better light the next time for you but it doesn't seem like that's the case it's it's much like walk-ins <clears throat> there seems to be a 
much higher percentage of walk-ins now, which in I effect is, is a termination of a soul contract. If you think about it, it's just another way of doing it. You walk out of the, your body, somebody walks into the same body, uh, you terminate that experience and you experience the uh, same body, but a new experience starts. And uh, it's, you know, to me, that's just another way of, of, uh, of uh, you know, doing what you're talking about. But I, I you, you mentioned misrepresented ETs and gosh, <laughs> what's kind of a, a two-part question. One is, we're just really now in this last decade or so, starting to have those public extraterrestrial conversations. Uh, we're becoming more mainstream, as, as we like to say. But there aren't that many ETs that are being represented at all. That's so you true. have a misrepresentation and a lack of representation, I would think. Mm -hmm. uh, on the misrepresentation side, on the lack of representation side, can you name me a, a species of beings that you feel are misrepresented uh, mm -hmm. and that you could like to say something about that and help them set that record a little straight and some that are completely not represented or, or are unknown to us for the most part? Of course. So I think I'm going to start with the inverse first. Um, I think the beings that are the least understood by humanity are actually crystal beings, light beings, and like floral beings, beings that are actually part plant-based that are um, still bipedal. They still have a consciousness. They still live in communities. They still have technology. They still, they work very heavily with the crystalline energy. Some of these use Merkabas and more so than using like a spacecraft yet from one location or another, they'll open up vortexes. They'll open up um, different ways of changing their consciousness from one vibration and location to another place in the universe. Those are the ones I think have very little representation. We'll see about them in some movies in a very fantastical type way, which are fantasy based and very dismissive. And it's like, but there are actual beings in this universe that are like that. A lot of which are very much so specialized in healing the connection to plants, connection towards um, helping the planet in particular and connecting to Gaia, Earth consciousness, so on and so forth. The ones that I think are the most misrepresented in humanity, or pardon me, by humanity at this time, are actually the Pleiadians. They are shown as being these um, warriors for God, so to speak, these pure mm. love and light beings. I'm like, bull patootie, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> like, so not true. A lot of them are wonderful, but they are still human. They have karma with us, and that's part of why they're coming here to help us is because a lot of them made the choice to not help us when we were having problems down here when a lot of the humans down here decided um, when there was a war going on, the humans got trapped and their memories wiped and they didn't come to help like they should have. That is part of their own prerogative. That's part of their own karma that they have to actually balance out. And so that's one thing that's not as well discussed. I get very frustrated when I look at people who are like, all Pleiadians are good. I'm like, I know for a fact that's not true. And it really does bother me when I see things like that, saying that they're all wonderful. And don't get me wrong, quite a few of them are. In the same way, a lot of humanity is wonderful, or a lot of these other beings are, but they do have bad ones amongst them as well that can be self-serving. I do feel as though the most complicated race is the reptilians because they're going through their own evolutionary consciousness at this time. From what I've noticed, they do have a very strong demonizing type um, energy around them. And a lot of them can be very bad. Some have told me that they'd love nothing more than to um, kill off most of humanity or eat them or enslave them. Yeah, there have been some ones that I've interacted with that are, have that perspective. But at the same time, we've all met murderers and rapists and stuff like that while going about our day-to-day -day life on earth. We just may not realize that those are some of the people that we've encountered. And some of the reptilians that I have met have actually been very kind and very thoughtful. They have been very focused on 
Um, even the aspect of hybridization, looking at how they can help to fix some of our DNA, how some of humanity actually has an overabundance of reptilian DNA and helping to restore it to being in a more natural state. And one of the smaller reptilian groups that I've talked to, they're smaller than raptors. They're only probably about like Yaton, me, so about four and a bit feet tall. They're kind of tiny, but they were wearing these um, lab coats and they were expressing that they were looking at the genetics aspect with a different group that I'm working with for hybridization. And they would like to take some of the aggressive aspects of humanity out because they're saying that we are um, with the genetics that we have and all the pollutants in our um, bodies from all the chemicals of everything we're exposed to have gone towards too hyper aggressive and it's very dangerous for us and dangerous for other races and that's why they're trying to deprogram that out and turn off those parts of our DNA that are being activated. So I do think reptilians can be very misunderstood. Some of the most compassionate beings have been reptilians that I've encountered. In particular, um, one of the raptor beings that I met, I was going through hybridization at the time as with three other women, I found myself standing completely naked in a room on craft with um, four female raptors. And it's actually very intimidating. If you suddenly gain consciousness, you can break out of like a catatonic state and you find yourself naked. You feel vulnerable as it is. And then you see yourself lined up and you see these raptors walking around. You're like, oh God, I hope I'm not lunch typing. And of course, like it's, I know that sounds so idiotic for me to say, but that is the first thought that came to mind. And I'm not willing to allow myself to not admit that because even though I've been encountering these beings for a long time, that was my thought. So I think it's only fair to really share that. And my guides like cut in and explained, hey, look, um, this has to do with hybridization. They're not actually here to hurt you. And I ran away because of course I still got scared. And sometimes when you're on craft, you will run from these beings because if you're in that in-between state, going between the catatonic state to your normal waking state, it's like when you wake up out of a weird dream, how you're disoriented, you don't know what's going on. And this raptor being came after me and she explained, hey, look, we're not here to hurt you. This has to do with hybridization, a soul contract you have. And I realized like, oh, she's actually being very kind to me. And the other group I do feel is like extremely misrepresented is actually the greys. The greys are being shown as these entirely robotic race. And there are some that I think could be robotic. Yes, yeah, some that are void of consciousness, void of a soul, but not all of them. Some of the greys that I've met have been very sweet, especially some of my hybrid children that are greys. They love to be picked up. They love to be sang to. They love it when I'm sitting on craft with them and I'm projecting the image out of my mind of different stories that we have down here, whether it's Little Red Riding Hood or some of the Disney movies like Moana. They love it when you project images out of your um, mind telepathically and start showing a video and start showing them these different stories because it helps them to better understand part of earth culture because we are very big into storytelling, whether we're aware of it or not. So I do think they are the more misunderstood races. We, you know, with all the extraterrestrial beings that, mm -hmm. that are out there, yeah, uh, many of them, we have no idea of, of what the power of their capabilities are. But we certainly know enough that if any really one of these extraterrestrial or interdimensional races decided that they would like to come in and take over our planet, I don't mm -hmm. think this would be much of a problem for them. Since it hasn't happened, or at least in this version of Earth that we're on today, it hasn't happened. We seem to be protected. And I wonder if you could comment on whether that protection, and I mean protection of both the planet as well as the species, the human species, homo sapiens, if, is that protection because of their genetic link to us? Is it their protection because they're just benevolent beings? Is their protection because the earth is such a special and unique place? Are there other considerations, all of the above, some of the above? 
I would say all of the above. Um, the Earth is a very unique um, atmosphere in the sense that we have an accumulation of different types of animal species and plant species from around the universe, all living in conjunction and harmony. And that's why we see so many different types of ecosystems and such a wide variety of animals being present on this planet. They do consider it to be a form of library in a sense with the amount of diversity that is present here. We are not the only library, but we are one of many and they want to protect them because it is an experiment to see how they can evolve, grow and change together. So when we look at the aspect of humanity and whether it's being protected, they are protecting us for a number of reasons. A lot of us felt it was so important to protect this planet, to help to protect the species, because we have been reset several times now, and they're not wanting to do that again. They'd like to see if we can make it through this time. And that's why we volunteered to come down into these lovely little human bodies, to have these human experiences, and to have these abductions, these contacts, to help really shift the consciousness and help make it a tipping point so that we don't have to be reset again. Talk about the reset. What do you mean by reset? Can you give me a particular date that we've been reset? Are there, are there things that we understand in our history that were resets that we didn't see them as, that, as such? Talk a little bit about that. Sure. Um, as I'm sure you're well aware of, when we look at the ancient civilizations and cultures, how there appears to be things like either massive floods or um, different societies being taken off planet, things of that nature, where humanity kind of gets knocked down to being a very low population again. It's things like that. They have mentioned that there have been several that have been done. I didn't ask for years because their interpretation of time and ours always seems to be wildly different. And so I've found that even asking them for dates of when things are going to happen in my own life or within the collective's lives, they've never seemed to be able to give me clear dates. And so I never really thought to ask about that. But they have mentioned that there have been several. And I'm assuming that means over millions of years because they have mentioned the fact that we have been here for quite a long time now. Do you think there's been one in our recent... Um history? Probably in the last 150,000 years, so that's fairly recent in my opinion. Yeah, pre-global uh, pre flooding? I would think so. Before them? Okay. Yeah. Do you, do, are, were these events, these resets, were these natural events, or were they resets that were created and orchestrated by extraterrestrials? Created and orchestrated by extraterrestrials and multidimensionals. They have technology that can alter the way our planet is acting in regards to not only volcanoes, in regards to floods, in regards to um, the way in which humans can have diseases. Even when COVID first happened, my kids and I presented before COVID even happened, we had a form of COVID that was given to us by a form of gray. And they gave it to us because they wanted to make sure that we would not be dealing with something similar. They wanted to make sure that we would not have to go through with things like vaccines because they're very adamant about preventing us from doing things like vaccinations. Sorry if that's too controversial, but they do look at a lot of the aspects of humanity and they do look at the genetic aspect as well in regards to resets because when we look at diseases, disease is one of the more natural ways to do resets. And that's also a way of culling the population. Yeah. No, I don't think that's, uh, I find that absolutely amazing. Sort of an extraterrestrial uh, vaccination, I guess, of sorts, isn't it? Mm -hmm. It Without is. the needle. <laughs> not often with needles. Um, I do find when we get injections, a lot of them tend to be in the stomach, not as much on like the thigh, the arm, or on the butt. Like you would find with a lot of human vaccinations, they tend to be on the front section of the abdominal area towards the belly button, kind of cascading right in the lower abdominal section. Yeah. I've always wanted to ask a, a, a hybrid mom a question. <laughs> Sure. And that is the first time that, that you met your hybrid children or your, your first encounter with a, with a hybrid child yeah. uh, of your own. Mm -hmm. Gosh, you know, again, here's, here's society telling us what to think and how to respond. 
my question it would be which takes over does the mom part take over the uniqueness and extraordinary looks of the cyber child um is it something you just have to get used to uh was it something you had to work on was it a natural um mm -hmm. this is my child i don't care what he looks like <laughs> for me, it was very instinctual and natural. I recognized the vibration of my children as my own. I recognized and I held them in my arms the first time that this was actually somebody that I had grown inside my body that was taken out of my body and finished within a form of um, egg sac that was raised on craft. Sometimes they're raised in a large tubes, but typically I've seen them in these large ostrich type egg sacs that are quite big. And predominantly, I have met ones that are either these um, it's almost like a bioluminescence on their skin with some of them, some are varieties of gray, some are varieties of white, some are varieties of cat being, which is kind of crazy. You see like a part human, part kitty type child. And you're like, oh my God, you're adorable. But it's like, I'm having a furry, which sounds so weird to explain to people. And even like, um, it's so weird when you find yourself giving birth to these children because you'll sometimes find yourself on craft and you'll be like how long is I gone for and you could be gone for months or years and then put back to roughly the same time that you were taken which is something that still kind of blows my mind how they can do that but when I've met quite a few of my hybrid children whether they've been babies children or teenagers even sometimes young adults especially my reptilian ones I'll look at them and be like oh my goodness look at you you're so big you're so healthy and you feel a sense of like pride and accomplishment that they're doing so well it really did kind of blow my mind away the first time I met one of my reptilians sons who is about he's built like a football player this guy must be like six and a bit feet tall he's got like has really dark dark skin to him and has like these very fine mesh scales and I'm like you're my baby you're so big how are you so big <laughs> it's such a weird feeling but it's actually quite beautiful because they will still regard you with a sense of love but it's a different type of love from each of the different species like the greys are very happy to be picked up but my hybrid son that was a reptilian him and his brother were right beside one another and I went to hug them and they're like oh god she's touching me okay yep we're doing this and it was kind of like when you hug those people who don't aren't affectionate based it was really really funny but when I have a hug my little tiger babies they kind of like they swat at you and they play with you and they're very very sweet and this one female um that I gave birth to she was really cute she actually was born with hair she's some sort of part water type being you're probably wondering what do I mean by that it's almost like if you were to take like the overall body shape of like a um like a, a tall white type thing but the skin actually had like a kind of like a kind of like a weird undertone to it where it like has like this blue and green patches of skin almost like these weird spots that light up like bioluminescence and she was born with this black hair and she was super cute but when she was born she had this energy rushing through that caused her skin to light up it was really quite beautiful but it was so weird seeing that delivering that baby because her she was so different from everyone else I've given birth to and I just I don't know it's fun and it's entertaining but there's a sense of love and pride typically at least for me but that's one of my soul contracts, like we talked about earlier with Grant, mm -hmm. is to have these children and to have such a diverse amount of children because of my DNA being altered, coming from two very distinct bloodline families from a long lineage of contact on either side. There's so much alteration that's taken place and I'm a better host for having hybrid children than a lot of people are. Do Make you sense? initiate contact with the hybrid children or do they initiate it with you? Or is it they either initiate. way? I don't tend to go out of my way to contact any ETs. If I'm really not feeling well, or if one of my kids is really sick, I'll send them a telepathic message being like, I'm really sick, or they're really sick, I need you to come down and heal them or come heal me. Beyond that, I don't initiate contact. They just come see me when they will. Um, I looked at it this morning, and since June of last year, I've had about 131 encounters, astral, physical, and psychic. Yeah, 
I voice well, record everything. It's one of the smartest things you could do if you have contact is voice record it. Don't try to draw it, write it out, draw it out, but voice record. Yeah. yeah. That's great. And you keep all these and review them mm -hmm. from time to time to just bring your memory back in shape and, and the light or yeah. pick up a detail or whatnot. <laughs> Typically, yeah. Um, what I'm trying to do right now is I'm actually in the process. I'm almost done writing my book. I've got everything from like the 80s until um, about the year 2020 already written out. And I would like to help show people what it's like to have diary contact. Uh, so what diary contact is, is recording very honestly and authentically what I remember from my encounter experiences. That way people have their own opinions. They can form it, writing down location, date, age, group, stuff like that. So people can analyze it in a form of like textbook I don't want to push my opinions of the different groups on people I would like for them to be able to look at it in a very unbiased form and I think that's one of, something that's not being done currently with ufology I just have to figure out how to publish it but beyond that we're good oh well give the publishing to Grant he has one of the largest <laughs> UFO publishing companies I think in in Canada anyway or at least we, in I'd happily pay him <laughs> no we we just well we we just uh, usually we just help people we there, there's covers we have to hire people to do in editing but other than that we can show you how to do it we have we've that's what i basically do is i find people who have very interesting stories like you and say did you write this down it's almost like you record yeah. it for your family even if it's only one yeah. book on the on the shelf that you know you mm -hmm. came here why would you keep it to yourself i mean it, it can help somebody so we'll help you with that yeah I have one question Perfect. and then I, I want you to talk about what you do for a living. Uh, the one question you, you touched on just briefly, and that is the mill lab experience. So who's doing the mill labs and what is that all about? So um, I've been in my lab since I was a child. So on my lab, of course, is a military abductee. I come from a bloodline family that has contact even with my lab situations on both sides. It is being done by numerous different groups. It's being done by black ops, the so black operatives, so black budget operations, as well as being done by various sects of the military. Both my parents were in the military, my grandparents, my great grandparents, so on and so forth. So it's kind of one of those things that's been more followed. Um, going back about four or five generations, if I'm not mistaken. And unfortunately, because, okay. So because of the way a lot of my lab situations work, especially if your family's in the military, they do tend to be aware of which people are having contact. Not only are these people likely to still have contact when they're um, on base or living in PMQs or things like that, but they tend, the black ops tend to be very aware of which families are having contact and they monitor them. So for instance, when my parents joined the military, they would have found out that each of them had contact. And from there, with each child that my parents had, they would abduct the children and find out, okay, well, who are you having contact with? Can you draw me a picture? Can you show me what's going on? And they do that from the time those children are born. And every time there's an energetic spike on the children, we tend to have physical implants within us that tend to tell them, okay, Samantha's no longer in her bed. Samantha's now um, across the world or off planet or her vibration went out. We, she was gone for 30 minutes, her vibration's back, go abduct her, find out what happened. And so a lot of the my lab encounters tend to be physical encounters. That's where we see a lot of the black triangle um, craft coming overhead. They tend to be more aggressive. That's also where we see things like the white vans that tend to come around our property and are, have quite a few memories of myself and my children um, walking out of our home, going to a white van, being questioned, so on and so forth, going to deep military underground bases, things of that nature. We always find that we're living typically quite close to a military base, which is kind of funny. And by funny, I mean, haha, clearly orchestrated. So it's not by our doing it's by their doing to ensure we're always nice and easy to abduct now the hard part about this is that if you're in my lab your chances are going to be in my lab from the time you're born until the time you die so you can try to break contracts with them but they're still going to abduct you it's just a matter of how useful are you that really determines whether you're likely to be heavily broken or not 
In regards to my MyLab situations, they started when I was very, very young. My earliest MyLab memories tend to actually be focused upon things like training ops, where I'm with several other children in the jungle, um, using our psychic abilities, working together, trying to do things like um, force fields, trying to do things like teleport, trying to do things like um, persuasion, where you actually have somebody or something go in a different direction, being chased by velociraptors and other forms of dinosaurs on and off planet as well as um, now I'm at a point where I'm actually doing training on younger children. This is not something I would go out of my way to do consciously. This is when you're put into a catatonic or program state and they utilize you and your skill set, unfortunately, which is really hard to accept, especially when you see your children going through something similar and then having them recorded as well so that you can have a better blueprint for their own children to understand. Are these so, black ops like we're, we're in Canada, so the, there's Canadian black ops mm -hmm. that are doing this. What about countries like China, Russia, say mm -hmm. Indonesia or the Arab countries? Is it going on there as well? Yes, from what I've gathered, it's going on all over the world. A lot of these countries are working together. I have found the Canadian and the American black ops situations are working together because I find myself sometimes located in the deserts that appear to be very similar towards places like Nevada or Arizona. Sometimes I've found myself in um, Alaska. Sometimes I'll find myself in Alberta. It really depends on what they're needing. The one commonality I have found with black ops is that quite often they do work very heavily with certain varieties of gray and certain varieties of reptilian. And that's where my PTSD has come from, is my black op encounters, more so than the majority of my extraterrestrial encounters. Wow. And then talk about what you do for a living. Oh, sure. So I'm a clairvoyant psychic. What I do for a living is I give people readings. I help people to either talk to their um, spirit guides, ancestors, find out what sort of soul path they're on. I help them to better connect with the various types of beings. I teach psychic abilities because it's one of the easiest things in the world. Most people just have a slight block around it. And once they get going, they tend to be just fine. Um, readings are what I'm meant to be doing. I'm also making a tarot deck about extraterrestrials and multidimensionals and the diversity of the ones I've encountered and writing a book at this time. Nice and easy. Beautiful. And your, your website is samanthamoat.ca, right? You are correct. Okay. Walter, you go yeah. it. Take, take it here and finish it off. <laughs> I, I am completely flummoxed. Uh, <laughs> this has been this has really been great. I I, yeah. I really appreciate. It. You've answered a lot of questions I've had. Uh, give some brand new points of view and opinion. Um, I'm just very thankful that uh, Grant you had me on and her on and the three of us mm -hmm. together today. Well, I'm I'm glad you asked the questions. So let's let's do another one when your book comes out. We we'll be in contact with you and we'll help you where we can with the book because we've done a lot for different people and they we usually make them do it themselves. Uh, but we help where we can. And um, as I said, there's certain things that we don't do, like the covers we hire for $50 for somebody oh, yeah. to do a cover and stuff like that. But we will be in contact with you. And, we, and when the book comes out, we, we promise to come back and we'll uh, review your book and we'll, we'll go from there. Of course. I'd love it if you both <laughs> read my book. I'd gladly give you a copy. It's, it's a four-inch binder right now. There you go. So it's be entertaining. That's good. It's all your sounds like you're doing what Jack Ballet did. Like his books, if you look at his forbidden science books, yeah. are basically just his journals. And uh, that's what you want. You, you know, you, it's not opinion. It's I mean, he has a little bit of opinion as he's journaling, but uh, that's a very interesting way to, to look at it. You just you put it out there and let people uh, pick it up for themselves. Well, last, I, oh, go ahead. Excuse me. Go right ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, they asked me to do it in journal form because they want it to be as unbiased as possible as more of a review method for people. That way it's not my opinions. Opinions change over time. Do they help you write it? Um, in some parts of it, yeah. They help me draw. I'm not very good at drawing. They're very good at drawing. So. Wow, wow. 
Excellent. This sounds Ooh. exciting. Go ahead, Walter. It will be. Last question. You say you see auras. Do you always see auras? Can you turn it on and can you turn it off? And if you can't turn it off, does it ever become a PITA? Um, yeah, it could be. Well, I can turn it on and off, which is nice. But typically, if I want to turn it off, I have to either do something like have a cup of coffee, have sugar, or have a drink. I don't mess around mm. with drugs because I think it's really dangerous, especially for psychics. We open ourselves up way too much if we do. But normally, if I'm going to something like a UFO conference, I will try my best to just have like one cup of coffee in the morning. That way I'm not looking at like 40 different auras because otherwise you start doing one of these and you start like looking at everybody and you get really distracted. It's like, huh, I want to talk to that person about the detoxification they have to their gut or, oh, I should talk about the fact they're pregnant that they don't know about or, oh, that person's depressed, even though they're smelling, I want to go talk to them. And it can be very rude to approach people and try to share information with them if they're not ready to hear it or if it's not something they're seeking. And so I've had enough experiences where I have to be very aware of who I'm talking to because some people, they'll be very nice to you until they find out what I do for a living. And then <laughs> they will, yeah. They're like, oh, you're psychic, great. Oh, you talk to aliens. That's not how Pleiades does that hurt her anymore. What do you do if you get a bad message? I've, I've had this, uh, a lot of contactees will come and say, they had this vision or whatever. Do you, if you come across somebody, there's actually one girl who lived here in Manitoba who now lives in Florida, who was like online 24 seven. And she had this ability that she could look at you and she could see if you had problems. She would, she described what it looked like in like looking at an x-ray and yeah. she had to be very careful Medical when she's medium. talking to people about, uh, you know, is there something wrong with, cause she actually made a mistake and said, how's your mother to this guy? How's your mother's cancer? And he said, she doesn't have cancer and then they found out she did and that that kind of thing so what do you do if, if you get sort of a a bad sort of vision do you tell the person or do you what do you do sometimes yes sometimes no i will stop and ask their guides um guides this is something this person should know at this time if their yes. guides are yelling at me saying sam tell them that that person's going to have a car accident tell them that way they can avoid the car accident then yes i'll tell them but if it's like if i see a car accident around somebody and their guides are saying don't say anything i won't say anything i'll bite my tongue no matter how much it makes you want to scream inside beautiful sometimes people have to do that yeah beautiful. anything else Walter? Yeah, yeah. no that's just that's a service in two different ways uh, <laughs> service uh, by information and withholding of information both are equally as important and mm -hmm. i'm fine i'm done guys beautiful thank you walter for for coming on thank you samantha you you are one of the most entertaining people out there and uh very <laughs> Very, uh, a lot of knowledge that I think people need to know. So thank you for coming on. Thank you, Walter, for coming and asking the questions. Let's do this again. You can do the next interview. When do I get my co-hosting thing? I, you know, when you put these up on YouTube, it's always Grant Cameron and Grant Cameron. And here's well, you got my talk Patreon page. Yeah, but and then at the bottom it goes, and with Walter Rucker. Yeah, but you, you got to realize I don't put it up. It's Desta that puts it up. I don't have anything to do with that. Oh, man. <laughs> got a message. Oh, I'm glad I know that now. That's, I, 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 uh, there's lots of things I don't like doing, and so that's one of them. And Desta, so we, we, should, we should get you as the co-host, because that's what I like is people who will jump in, because I'm, I'm not really much on asking questions. I'm, I like to uh, meet the people and sort of advise questions, but. Okay, thanks a lot, and we'll. Uh, I'm going to put this on podcast as well. So I will, uh, Samantha. I will send you the link uh, later on this afternoon. You'll have it. You can do whatever you want with the video, and uh, hopefully we can get your book. Uh, show you what to do, help you out a little bit, and we'll have another interview when your book comes out. 
Sounds good, Grant. I'm more than happy to pay you for your time. I'm just looking at going, I have no idea how to do this beyond the stuff. Okay, but that, so. that'll, that'll be going to Desta as well. I don't do that either. I just- Perfect. <laughs> okay, we'll be in touch. <laughs> Sounds good. Bye, group. guys. You'll love it, uh, Sam. Thanks so much, yeah. everybody. And uh, best to everyone. You, you too. Have a great day, guys. Okay, bye-bye.